Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football in association with Soccer X. Connecting football for 25 years. Hello and welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and in this episode, I spoke to Ryan Armstrong, Senior Brand Manager at the Football Association and the man in charge of marketing the oldest national football competition in the world, the Emirates FA Cup. This year sees the 150th anniversary of the first FA Cup final, and I talked to Ryan about how a competition with such history is marketing itself to younger fans and the challenges of how to harness that incredible history whilst also ensuring the competition moves with the times and embraces changing audience media consumption habits. We talked about how FA content output fits in with broadcasters' linear TV coverage to supplement each other, and we also spoke about how it sits within the contemporary UK sporting landscape with competitions from other tournaments, such as, obviously, the Premier League and Champions League, but also other sports, particularly in today's globalised world. And lastly, I asked him which moment in the competition's history would have caused the most social buzz had our current social media ecosystem had the same presence and penetration throughout these long 150 years. Overall, Ryan painted a picture of a competition which understands the challenges it faces, but also knows that it can rely on an enormous global support which goes beyond interest to fanaticism and indeed love. So let's get into it as I welcome Ryan to the show. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks Alex, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Now, Ryan, the FA Cup clearly needs no introduction, but staying popular, relevant and premium for 150 years is no mean feat. Thinking about the competition's great history, is its heritage potentially a double-edged sword when it comes to engaging young fans? And what I mean by that is, do they care about the history of the competition or is it all about present-day priorities? Yeah, so I think I'll start with, I guess acknowledging the 150th year of the competition this year and I guess what we're trying to do to maximise that exposure this year and and celebrate that history. Now, as you alluded to there, younger audiences um, engage with our competition in a slightly different way now and there's different types of challenges that we're facing with younger audiences. But I guess to to take a step back and, and to really look at that 150th anniversary first and foremost, we know that it's an important part of our history. We want to acknowledge that uh, part of our history and, and celebrate that this year. And what we've done this year in particular is to look at how we can engage those different audiences. So let's start with a traditional audience. We know that they know about the FA Cup and, and its rich history. Um, and it's a case of reminding them of that history this year and celebrating all the moments that yourself and I will remember through our uh, our um, childhoods. Um, but for younger audiences, we know that the way that they're engaging with football now and, and particularly with the FA Cup is, is 
definitely different to how we would have done at a younger age. So if I think about myself as a youngster and I'm a Lincoln City fan, growing up watching the FA Cup, for me, that was going with my dad to a game, uh, experiencing the FA Cup for the first time. And it may be my first game or first route into football. And then you, you build that affinity over a period of time and you build that understanding of what the FA Cup means through your family or through parents or guardians, for example. Whereas now, because football consumption is changing so much, that narrative is, is changing and it's, it's part of our job to build that education with those younger audiences. So part of the challenge that we've had this year is to, yes, celebrate and, and kind of acknowledge our history with younger audiences, but also to engage and educate them about that history. Now, you asked within that question, is it relevant to them? I think the answer is yes but it's got to be told in the right way. You can't just kind of say, look at all these great moments and look at what this means to you as a, as a football fan or even on a periphery of football fandom. I think what we've tried to do this year is think about how they're consuming football content now and how that's different and then engaging them with content that is trying to acknowledge those changes, look back to the history of the competition, but then also look forward to the, uh, the future of the competition as well. Do you have any examples of that, things that you're doing this year that perhaps you weren't doing previously? Yeah, I mean, we've done multiple things to to try and celebrate the history this year. A lot of PR campaigns, a lot of marketing activity, and in particular, a lot of social media output. For a more traditional audience, obviously, that sits with that more traditional PR angle and through TV um, and engaging audiences that way. For a younger audience, we're looking far more at that content strategy and looking how we can diversify that content. So a good example of that is telling the decades of the cup. Now, that's a piece of content or a content stream that we've delivered throughout the season, but doing it in such a manner that's creating more engaging content first, rather than necessarily just trying to tell the story of the competition. So uh, the example of that is, let's say we've gone from 1871 all the way through to present day and broken that down into different decades. Now, that decade, obviously telling the story of the cup at 1871 to a younger audience now that's a challenge um but what we've done is try to bring in a kind of a different lens on it so trying to show how the content that was produced back then has changed uh, first and foremost uh, how football has changed but then also tapping into modern culture or modern society uh, and trends that we're seeing so obviously football shirt culture has been an interesting development over the last few years it's kind of had that renaissance and comeback so looking back into the history of football shirts that have been played in the FA Cup is, is another example and then finally also just then tapping into how media consumption and football consumption has changed over the last few years as well. So going from that kind of radio and traditional linear TV uh, consumption all the way through to, to modern day live clipping and pretty much consuming content on mobile first. So trying to adapt our content to think about how that's delivered over the years and how it's going to be shaped towards the future as well. And what's the feedback been like from fans when you see whether it's comments on social media or any other interaction you might have? Do you feel like the awareness is there that this is 150 years? Do you feel like the excitement is there? What do they tell you about the FA Cup? Yeah, well, we've actually just, well, we're currently in the process of conducting some audience research, but we also conducted some uh, audience research at the start of the season as well. 
And what we found in that audience research, and particularly amongst the younger audience, so talking kind of 16 to 25, but potentially sometimes even younger than that as well, is that the awareness of the FA Cup is actually there. It's not that we're constantly challenging to grow that awareness. There's a fundamental understanding of what the FA Cup is. It's just how they've consumed with the FA Cup that's changed. Um, so when we've conducted that research and it's actually challenged a lot of the perceptions that we've had as a as an organization and as a brand my perceptions going into the audience research at the start of the season was um let's say a, well, not hypothetical but a uh, an 18 year old that we spoke to my perception of him would be a, a twitch user and um heavy tiktok user and, and not really consumer of football kind of outside of that and my perception was completely different or the reality was very different. He would still watch linear TV with his parents or, or with friends, um, but it would be much shorter form. So what we've tried to do is understand that audience research and then adapt that content. And what we found is there's been general positivity and we see in our metrics that engagement, uh, viewership um, have all grown this year. Um, I, I'll come on, I'm sure, to talk about our TikTok channel. But um, we, we started that TikTok channel at the start of the season. We're now at 2.3 million followers in 10 months. So we've adapted our strategy this season in particular, yes, to tell the history, but also to look towards the future as well. I'm keen to talk about this shift maybe of attention from linear broadcast TV to uh, social media because I remember, you know, and it's not that long ago, but a, a couple of decades ago, let's say maybe even 15 years ago, the FA Cup final for me was all about watching TV the whole afternoon. And I may be sort of stray, straying into stereotypes and cliches here, or, but, uh, you know, but my dad certainly talks about it that way. My grandfather talked about me that, about it that way. It didn't matter if your team was playing in the cup final or not. You were sitting down in front of the TV with the whole family, maybe friends, for the whole day or at least a long afternoon. Now, linear TV broadcasters don't do that anymore, right? Whether it's BBC, ITV, BT Sport in recent years, it's, 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 an, it's a maybe an extended broadcast, but it's not the whole day. Is that a shame or is the conversation and the audience attention just happening elsewhere right now? I think, to be fair to, to modern day broadcasters, they still deliver a really fulfilled program on FA Cup final day and around FA Cup weekend. I think they've just adapted to, to consumption habits and, and their own channel needs. You know, think about this season's final, what we've coming up with BBC. Uh, we've got the one show covering it on the Friday night, and then we've got Football Focus and Saturday morning breakfast on, on the day off. So there's definitely still coverage of the FA Cup final. I think that their, their programming has obviously just adapted over time. Um, but I think what we're now trying to do is uh, listening to that audience and, and what we've seen over the last few years with that change in media consumption is that we'll complement the linear TV. So it's not about competing, it's about complementing them. So we'll work with the broadcasters to understand the type of content that they'll be looking to deliver across their programming. And then we'll adapt and we'll deliver our own type of content that will be potentially a little bit more younger audience focused, um, but also the different types of content. So behind the scenes, looking at uh, the type of content that you may not consume or get to access on linear TV anymore, um, getting close to the clubs, getting close to the players, getting around Wembley on match day as well and delivering that across our social channels. And that's where we've adapted that over the last few years and moving forwards, so that's where we see that most of our challenges will come is keeping that engagement through that content, keeping it interesting um, and trying to tell different stories as well around the cup final. 
what does that relationship with broadcasters look like? Because will you tell them what to say and how to talk about the FA Cup? Will you educate them on certain things? I suppose a broadcast like the BBC probably doesn't need a huge amount of education. Perhaps it's different between BT Sport, who recently uh, have been a UK broadcaster, or BBC and, and ITV have been around for longer, or indeed foreign broadcasters. To what extent are you telling them, here's how to talk about this prestigious old tournament, versus saying, you've got the broadcast rights, you know your audience, do what you think's best? Say it's, it's a good working relationship with all the broadcasters in the sense that we we know that they want to tell their own narrative and their own story that fits their own brand. Um, we we don't want to tell BBC how to how to promote the competition. They, as you alluded to, they know how to promote the competition. But for us, um, and and certainly with ITV coming on this season um, and going for fully free to air again, we found that. It's, it's working together to, to build a narrative of what we want to try and tell our audiences, um, but then not, not telling them how to do that. They, they know how to do that. For us, it's, it's how can we complement what they're doing with our own narrative as well. And that's changed over a number of years. Um, I go back to four or five years ago, um, we'd have potentially the, the BBC uh, and BT and then ourselves all trying to tell a different narrative around the FA Cup. And I think we've worked hard over the last few years uh, to make sure that, yes, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet, um, but giving them their own creative freedom. Uh, and that's important because they get different audience types to what we will do and we'll focus on a, on a slightly different audience. So as long as we're, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet, which is what we worked hard on, then we're happy for them to take creative license. From an international standpoint, it's slightly different. Obviously, their understanding and their, um, their experience with the FA Cup differs, uh, particularly depending on how long they've, uh, they've held the rights for. Um, what we find with international broadcasters is there is a, a bit more of an element of education working with them to, to help tell the narrative of the FA Cup, what it means to audiences domestically and potentially what it also means to audiences in their market. Now, they also understand their market just as well, or if not better than we do. But we also conduct a lot of audience research to help tell that narrative and understand what audiences are, are looking for from the FA Cup in their markets as well. Um, and we're, we're working hard um, to, to build that kind of product proposition um, for our international broadcasters. So they're not just taking the linear TV feed, it's they're taking the product. And this is what the FA Cup means. This is what uh, comes with buying into the rights uh, with the FA Cup as well. So will you be pretty clear then, let's talk about cup final day and you know the broadcasters are going to be doing X, Y, Z and they are innovating and there are new things every year, but you know there's going to be the studio side of things, there might be the on-pitch side of things, you'll have the pre-match interviews with players and managers and then post-match as well. And are you at the FA thinking, okay, that's broadcaster territory, we're going to do something different, complementary, supplementary to that? 100%, yeah. Uh, and I think your examples are absolutely right. We understand what linear TV wants to deliver and, and what they want to deliver for their TV audiences. For us, as you, you mentioned and I mentioned previously, it's about that complementary content. And that's typically behind the scenes. And we, we know, again, from audience research, the trends that we see in social media content. A lot of clubs have been doing this very successfully for a number of years, as well as other um, rights holders, is telling it from a different angle. 
people now know the the kind of linear TV um, and what to expect, as you alluded to. So for us, it's how how can we tell that different that same story but from a different angle or a different way. Um, so it's it's looking at say manager cams as an example. So just purely focusing on what the manager is doing throughout the throughout the game and capturing those um, those reactions. Uh, it may be just purely focusing on the fans. So a fan cam for the final and just looking at different sections of the crowd and the emotions that come through. Um, it could be having influencers at the cup final and, and giving them a bit of creative freedom to tell their story and their narrative. That also gives us that opportunity to tap into their networks as well and get extended reach. So um, I think it's there's multiple different ways that we look at it and, and we use that in different ways across our different channels. So it won't be the same kind of narrative or same content output across all of our different channels. You'll have YouTube that will be more of a longer form edit that could be that manager cam, for example, or, or behind the scenes of the cup final, which is a, a review of the day kind of condensed. Um, whereas on TikTok, it may be looking at that more creative content, that entertainment content, the, the gaffes in the crowd or in, on the pitch, um, just trying to tell something slightly different. So um, for us, it's all about creating diverse content, engaging content, but also understanding what our audience needs are. It's a pretty good time to be doing manager cam, isn't it, with um, <laughs> the managers that we've got in England right now. I've never seen such emotional, passionate and physically active managers as we've probably got at this stage. Absolutely. I mean, Jurgen Klopp and, uh, and Thomas Tuchel, uh, watching them at the semi-finals was fascinating. And I can't wait to see that at the final either. I think they'll, they're, you know, they deserve their own uh, their own content thread uh, just purely for that to, to watch the entertainment. And I think, again, that, that's what our audiences are after as well, right? They want to see something slightly different if they're not in the crowd or even if they are in the crowd, they're not going to be able to sit watching the managers the whole time. So, yeah, I think it, it's giving that different angle. Are there any lessons in particular you think you've learned from TikTok this year? We, you've raised it a couple of times. It's clearly um, an important part of your coverage this year. And if I could make an observation on the FA's TikTok, something I noticed that I think is done on the FA's TikTok and not done elsewhere is that it's not just about glorious goals. I think on other competitions, they'll say, you know, look at this amazing moment, look at this amazing moment. And the FA would be well, you guys would be well within your right to do that because there are such amazing moments and particularly on 150 year anniversary, you might look back on that. But there's also all sorts of bloopers and gaffes and own goals and funny moments and so on. Is that something you've just learned by testing and learning as you've gone on? Or did you set out straight away to say, we're going to do some more lighthearted stuff here? Yeah. Our TikTok strategy is we, we probably came slightly late to the party in terms of when you look at what other football clubs have been doing or other rights holders. And I think we purposely made that decision because we were we were understanding and, and consuming everything that other people were doing to success or, or maybe not to quite success um, over the last couple of years and, and also learning from our other channel content. So when it came to, to launching our TikTok channel this season, we had a pretty good idea of what the trends were, what was successful, and also what we wanted to try and achieve. And you alluded to it there, it's, it's, it's telling that slightly different story from a, a different creative standpoint. So we won't recreate everything from, let's say, Instagram Reels to TikTok. It'll be a totally different uh, content thread. Um, and the idea behind those different types of content threads is, is by listening to those audiences and, and following those trends. So um, if we were to just purely put out great goal after great goal after great goal. I can't imagine that our channel would grow as, you know, as the rate it has, but also um, I don't think that that's the type of content that 
that audience want to be seeing or consuming on TikTok. So there's, there's other places for that Twitter, in goal moments, for example, uh, YouTube, long form highlights. So for us, TikTok, we have to use the platform correctly, um, first and foremost, but then also um, make sure that it's, it's differing in nature to our other channels, but also to other football properties. Um, again, as a football fan, if you go on TikTok and you just, you know, you're scanning through, you don't want to be constantly reminded of the same kind of content. So, and, and lots of football clubs and right hold, uh, rights holders are doing really good jobs at that. I know you spoke to Juventus a, a few weeks ago, and great example there. Wolves, another one. So, it's there's a pretty good template for success on TikTok, but it's utilizing and maximizing the content. You know, you can't predict what's going to happen out on the pitch. So, um, that's why for us, having cameras at different places and not just necessarily looking at on the pitch matters is really important because then we can tell it in a slightly different story that's relevant to that audience. And having the rights to use those, right? Because it's an interesting relationship that you have with the broadcasters. And and if you could explain that, that would be great in terms of footage, match footage, highlights during the game and post-match. What is it that the broadcasters have? And then what are the rights that the FA retain to use across their platforms? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the way it works is both broadcasters and the FA have, have the same rights in the sense of they can show their linear TV. We don't obviously show linear TV, um, but when it comes to social, they have the access to in-game content and highlights as much as what we do. Um, it's, again, we go back to that, that word complementing. Um, for our channels, we know that different audiences will be potentially uh, either double screening or just on social. So for us, if you've got a linear TV feed, we can then complement that with in-game moments. And it was important for us that when we went through the recent rights cycle, that we maintain those rights because it gives us an opportunity to tell different stories, but also grow our own channels and grow our own audiences both domestically and internationally as well. And I think it's been a, a huge um, a huge benefit in USP for us on an international scale because it gives us that right to talk to audiences in the moment. Now we adapt that um, by market and it changes if, you know, if you're in the West uh, and the game is early morning, then you, know, you may not be tuned in to watching live clips. It may be that you're watching highlights later on that morning. Likewise, if you're in the Far East, you may be watching live matches, but second screening or just on social. So that's where like, in-game moments for example is really useful or then following up with highlights the following morning when they're waking up so the in-game clip rights is 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 incredibly important for us um, and we look to maximize it as best as possible to complement all the other content that we're delivering as well i'm keen to talk about those global audiences but just staying on the domestic uk audience for a second there's always been competition for audience attention no doubt about that for 150 years But do you think that competition is fiercer now than ever? And I'm talking, of course, about the obvious, you know, Champions League, Premier League, but I'm also talking about foreign leagues and sports outside of football. The growth of popularity of the NFL in this country, for example, is well documented. How hard is it for the FA Cup to remain part of the conversation? Yeah, I, I think it, look, I think every you ask this to any rights holder, um, they'll say the same. It's, it's a challenge, and, and and there's a lot of lot of content out there. It's a very saturated market. I think for us, it's important to know when it's our right to win. So let's take we're recording this the day after um, Man City um, Real Madrid. For us, we wouldn't be looking to distribute content during that game or following that game because we know that the noise is all going to be around that game yet we know that fa cup final is the following week so we're building up and we're working around other rights holders and other properties to know that that's 
their kind of their right to win and their moment in the in the spotlight, so to speak. And for us, it's then maximizing our own moments. So again, it's not about competing. I would say it's more about um, finding those those the right times, understanding the bell curves that we have as an uh, as a property as well. Obviously, in between third round, fourth round, fifth round quarters. Obviously, there's, there's moments in between where there's no FA Cup football and it goes back to the Premier League or it goes back to the Champions League or uh, or other uh, competitions both inside and outside of football so we'll just look to maximize those moments keep our audiences engaged at more of a lower level in between on those bell curves but then go right back to trying to really own those moments when it's our right to win and then looking outside of the UK how do you market the competition differently in foreign countries? And do you know if fans abroad watch the FA Cup just because they want to see their Premier League heroes again? Or is there a sense that they understand and care about the prestige of the world's oldest tournament? I'll start with the latter part of your question, if that's okay. Uh, I'll come on to the marketing of it. I think re- the reason why is that the audience research that we conduct, you're, you're right in, a, in the uh, assumption that you made there in that we, we're seeing that lots and lots of international fans now are following players, potentially more so than clubs. Now, but clearly there's huge club fandom around the world. But if you look at, say, Cristiano Ronaldo, when he came back to Manchester United, Manchester United's club channels just skyrocketed overnight. Um, so that shows the power of individuals now. Cristiano Ronaldo is probably out there uh, amongst a few that can do that. Um, but we, we do know that fans will follow players. And when they're coming into the English Football League, whether that's Premier League or, or the EFL, to play in the competition, for us, that's, that's an opportunity to maximise that player fandom. So let's take um, an example of, let's say, Latin America, and we're thinking about Mexico. Um, Raul Jimenez is a great example where we will look to maximize um, the engagement with those audiences by tapping into fandom of Raul Jimenez. Now, yes, there's an element of Wolves fandom there as well. And I know you spoke to Russell a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, how Wolves are doing that, but we'll, we'll also kind of, it's a similar approach, you know, it's looking to localize that interest in the player to then leverage that to tell the story of the FA Cup. So um, for us, we'll create a content edit around Raul Jimenez and his moment in the FA Cup, but try and tell the story of the competition at the same time. So that's a case of tapping into the fandom, educating, engaging, but then reminding them in the future. So um, we'll also use those big players like Cristiano Ronaldo and look back to when he played in the FA Cup previously to when he's now back in the competition this season. It gives the fans a bit of context, but also tells them the story of the competition and his journey in the competition over a number of years um, and the changes that have happened. So for us, ultimately, yes, it's it's tapping into player fandom, but also understanding the market, understanding the nuances of the market, and then utilizing that and leveraging both player and club fandom to tell the story of the FA Cup. Now, in terms of going back, I guess I've touched on it slightly, but looking into how we market it, that localization approach, um, you again, you would have heard a lot from Russell in terms of how Wolves do it, but for us, you can't just take the FA Cup and just 
kind of put it into each market and hope that people understand what it is um, and, and how important. Yes, it's got prestige, um, but for peripheral football fans that are kind of just getting into into football in, in these global markets or even as um, avid fans in those markets, we can't assume that they understand what the FA Cup means and, and that prestige or history. So it's definitely a case of educating those audiences, but in a localized manner. So let's take uh, the US, for example. Now, we know that there's there's a really strong football base in the US and, and hardcore fans, but we need to still educate those audiences around the history. So for us, thinking back to last season, uh, we created an edit with a third-party publisher, Tifo, to tell the story of the FA Cup and how Americans have participated in the FA Cup. Now, again, I, I touched on it earlier, that's tapping into a, a network of, of their audiences, but also telling it in a slightly different way that's relevant to a US fan base. So there's plenty of examples that I could give of that, but ultimately it's, it's taking a step back, looking at the market, understanding the audience nuances, and then delivering content strategy that works against that. It's interesting what you say there, Ryan, about all these different ways that you're hitting different audiences in different places with different strategies. Ryan, I want to close the podcast on a question uh, which you might need a second to think about. But as we reach this 150-year anniversary of the first FA Cup final, I'd love to know if social media had been around at its present levels of prevalence and popularity since the start, which moment in the tournament's history do you think would have generated the most social conversation? Wow, great question. (laughs) You're right. I do need a moment. Um, I think uh, that, look, there's so many rich moments of history. Um, I suppose it's interesting. Would it be something controversial or would it be something brilliant? You know, would it be an incredible goal or would it be, um, you know, something that people complain about or would it be the white horse final or, you know, that sort of uh, off pitch incident, which people would talk about? Yeah, I guess, look, there's a, there's a challenge in the sense of a narrative and tone of voice that we want to want to kind of give as the FA and, and as the FA Cup. You know, we don't want to be talking about negativity or, or negative issues. So I think that, that would obviously be a challenge for me to answer in that sense. But I think for me, looking back through the history and, and moments, I would probably say it's it's one of the the moments where a, a smaller team has has overcome you know like that classic giant killing i think that that's probably one of the there'll be there'll be so many examples of that but i think we're in a in a an era now where we look to challenge the status quo and people want content that's, that's differing you know what they usually see i think a, a huge giant killing would typically have told the, the best kind of story there's too many examples of that to probably give I'm going to be obviously biased and talk about Lincoln going there on their re, uh, recent run in 2017 to the quarterfinals. I don't think that that's ultimately going to be the, the best moment as much as I would love it to be. Um, I think it is, it's looking back through the history and picking out key moments. Um, Ronnie Radford's goal is a classic, right? We, we... Newcastle fans look away now. <laughs> well, they've been on the end of a few, uh, but hopefully they'll, they'll also have a, a good future in the competition as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you look back, there are two, oh, there's almost too many to pick one in particular. I think if social media was around throughout that history, um, then we would be laughing, to be perfectly honest, because there's just been so many moments. Ryan, thank you very much for your time. 
you're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And if listeners want to follow either you or the FA, where's the best place for them to do it? So for the Emirates FA Cup, we're across all different social channels. So um, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, um, and that's at Emirates FA Cup. Ryan, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. For more podcasts like this, please make sure you're following us or check out the show archives at footballco.com. Thanks for listening. All the best. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football in association with Soccer X. Connecting football for 25 years.